Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm Pastor Ed. This is your first time here. I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and we're just a small house church in McKinney, and we preach the Word of God every day or every week that we're here, and we just keep going for the Lord. I hope you're here today to be taught and not entertained. I hope you're here today to seek the Lord. For, the, the, for nothing is more pleasing to God for us to have faith, but then that faith is just a word if it's, there's no action accompanied with it. So if we diligently seek the Lord in faith, Hebrews 11:6, that's what, that's what God is really pleased with. So I, I really hope and pray that you that are listening to me in this room and all over the world or wherever you may be, that you're here to learn about God and to learn the ways of God, not just to be entertained, because you just won't get it here for Jesus wasn't an entertainer. When people came to Jesus, he just didn't entertain them. He taught them. He taught them the ways to please God. And so that's what I'm going to teach you here today. Another way or ways in which maybe you already know to please God. If you want to join me in a word of prayer, please, I'd appreciate it as we have to ask the Lord all the time to uh, help us understand his word. God, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, Lord God, for your great love and your great mercy on all mankind. Lord God, as you... You offer the way, and you offer the way to everybody, Lord God, on all the face of the planet, Lord God. Even that person that we think, well, they can't have the gospel because they're in the middle of nowhere, and they've never heard the gospel. And then they, do they go to hell? Well, we, I don't, well we're going to find out today, Lord, but help us to understand your word. Help us to understand what your word says to us, Lord. Help us to understand your great love, and help us to understand your plan of salvation today and how it all works from your word. We love you, God, and we praise you, God, and we thank you, God. Just help us to understand. And then, Lord God, as I always say, help us not just to understand your word, but help us to apply it to our lives and to actually live it out, to do what you tell us to do, Lord God, and not just be those that hear the word, but those that do the word as well, too. We thank you and we love you and we praise you, dear God. And we ask these things all in the only way we can, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you guys can turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. I was really, when I first started off this uh, brand new sermon for studying it on Tuesday, I was kind of wondering, Lord, do you am I going to be doing the whole chapter here? Because it's kind of like one whole big account. But the Lord had other plans as I was kind of really concerned and worried about how am I going to get a study for a whole chapter of, I don't even know how many verses, let's, let's see, 10, let's see, 48 verses when sometimes I can't even teach on two verses in an hour. How am I going to teach on 48 verses in an hour? Well, the Lord had other plans. He had nine verses today, one through eight today for us. So I'm not going to teach on them until I uh, give my thoughts from last week's message, Great Faith. Peter and all those in Joppa sure did exhibit great faith in the actions that we read about in, in that section that we read of last week, didn't they? They both acted together in accordance with what Jesus Christ spoke to his apostles and then all Christians over the face of the planet in Mark chapter 16, right? Summing up Mark 16, Jesus said that those that are his would do great signs, wonders, miracles, 
in his name, they would, you know, they could pick up, not that he is encouraging them to, but that they would uh, be around a deadly serpent. But yet, even if the deadly serpent, no matter what it did, they'd be okay. They could drink poisonous things. And of course, the most popular of our day today is, well, two most popular things is speaking in a different spiritual language. And of course, we can lay our hands on others and they will recover for Jesus said it. So this is true. This is true faith, by the way, when we actually do what God told us to do. When we take God at his word and simply trust him, and then we act on what he tells us to do, this is true faith. And really, Christians, we can talk all day long about having great faith, but, the, but actually the way we have great faith, the, the great faith that God wants us to have, the faith that pleases him, is when we listen to his words and then we respond to his words and we live in accordance to what he tells us to do. And not just in one area of our lives, but in all the areas of our lives. As I just got a chance to, this previous week to pray over a lady that I was buying my t-shirts from and and she said she had a, like an a anti-immune type of disease, and, and I was going to leave. And the, the Lord was like, weren't you preaching and weren't you telling people that you, you had to go out there, that they should be more proactive and go out there and lay hands on people that were sick and then you know, expect results or, you know, and, and be obedient by faith? And so I did. It was one of the most weirdest things in my life that I had to do, but I felt God told me to do it, and I felt it was time, and so I did it. And I, I acted on what I taught you guys for the past previous two weeks. And uh, I, I don't know what God's going to do. It's in God's hands. But all I know is I was obedient to do what he told me to do. I went back in that little place. And after I had already left, and I was like, this is what I know that the Bible tells us that we could do. And so uh, would you allow me? Of course, I have to ask. I, we don't want to force people to do something. And even if they say that they're believers or not, doesn't mean that they believe in all things. But I, I asked, and she said, okay. And so I did, and I'll tell you, it, it, it was as exhilarating as the, as the many, 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 many years on the streets witnessing to people sharing Jesus Christ with them. And that's how exhilarating it was to actually do that, to actually be obedient to God's Word. You really... I hope that you're trying it. And really, I plead with you, just as Paul did to the Christians in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. That means that you just don't believe. That means that you act on what he told you to do. That means that you do the things that he told you to do, regardless of the result, you do the things that he told you to do, no matter how hard they are. He was pleading with them to actually live in abandon unto Jesus Christ. You know, there's, there's a difference between living in abandoned to Jesus Christ and then just kind of like having just normal faith in Jesus Christ. Abandoned means that you just do whatever, no matter how crazy you think that it is that God might be telling you what to do, if it's biblical, mind you, if it's biblical. You know, we got these people that do crazy things. Well, God told me. You know, there was a lady uh, several years back now that, uh, well, God told me to get in my car and drive down to the lake and, and drive my kids into the lake while they're buckled into the car and, and you know, the, then they died. Well, God told me to do that. Well, that just gives God a slap in the face to those who don't know God because that would, God would never tell you to do that. Amen. Sorry, it's not in the Bible. Amen. Show it to me in the Bible. Right. So, so, but God will ask you crazy things to do like he asked me to do last week, like he's asked me to do for five years now. He asked you crazy things to do, and he, he wants to know, are you going to do it? Are you going to be obedient? Even though it's crazy, are you going to do it? Get out there, Christians, and when the opportunities arise, lay your hands on people for their healing. Let God be God. 
right? If you have the opportunity and there comes one, lay your hands on people, demons will be cast out, right? Do it. And, 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 and ask God, hey, God, give me a spiritual language. Or, or when an opportunity arises and, and God calls you to speak it, then speak it. But no, overall, Christians, put your faith in God and put your faith in action and practice the things that Jesus Christ said. Uh, Hebrews eleven six, and I'll just close with this. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice again, like I said earlier, it's not just the faith, but notice there, the re- he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice there when the faith actually had feet. When you took your faith and you said, no, I'm going to diligently seek God, then he was a rewarder for that. You may say you have faith, and it may be a measure of faith, but God wants you to have the greatest measure of faith and actually do and put yourself out there and and do what he told you to do by your faith that you have. Praise God. Let's get on to our new sermon, message title. Uh, today, kind of excited about it. It's actually the first time I think I've maybe ever taught this in depth on this subject, but uh, his, his great faith brought him great reward. Kind of like we were just talking about Hebrews eleven six. His great faith brought him great reward. Let's read Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, please. Let's see what God has to say to us today. The Bible says, Luke records, I should say, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. I don't know about you, but I sure do want in the annals of heaven for God to say that about me. I prayed to God always. Interesting. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. When he had observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Small L, of course. So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Wow. Now send a man to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Notice there was a must do there. That's important. We'll we'll talk about that. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And as I said, I initially had plans to teach the whole doggone chapter, but God had other plans. So let God be God and let me not, right? Before today, we'd heard quite a lot about Peter, right? We had two huge things about Peter. Peter going here, going there, healing this person, healing that person. But today, Luke only mentions Peter briefly as God kind of brings him in. Hey, by the way, do this, right? And he's not the main focus, Who is the main focus? A very unlikely underdog 
he, 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 you'll get it later, underdog of a character, the term will make sense as I go on. Look at verses 1 and 2 again, and I'm going to just go through them as I teach them. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. Now, this would have been, he was an officer of the Roman army. Really, he was a kind of a leader. A centurion was somebody that was over as we read in the, in, the, in the account, he had people under him. So he was an officer, a leader of the Roman army, of what was called the Italian Regiment. This is what the name that they gave themselves. Hey, we're the, we're the Italian Regiment. Yeah, right? This is the name of like his corps or something, right? And look at the testimony Luke gives of this centurion or Roman officer. He was, verse 2, a devout man. What does that mean? That means that he was faithful. Wow, that, that's, that's something to be said of somebody, right? They were faithful, right? And he goes on, and, and that's a big and, by the way. Let me tell you what, it's a big and. One who feared God, wow, with all his household. Now that would be Jehovah God, the creator of the universe God, right? Who gave, what else did he do? He gave alms generously to the people. And here's, here's one of the biggest ones. And he prayed to God, Jehovah again, always. Wow, that is powerful. So this, this was a Roman man who was not of Jewish descent. And the Bible calls these types of people, and the Jews of that day called these people Gentiles. I am also one of these, and you are too if you're not a Jewish man by birth. And this Gentile man, considered by the Jews as dogs, right? This is what the Bible calls them, dogs. Get it? My little pun earlier, underdog, right? Remember Jesus called the reference to the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15, 26, a dog. He so this is biblically what Gentiles or what Jews called non-Jews was dogs or Gentiles. So this Roman man, Cornelius, this Gentile dog, feared God with all of his household. Wow. So everyone in his house feared Jehovah or Yahweh or had a reverent fear. Oh, wow. We, we tremble before you. We fear you, almighty God, the same great I am who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is so huge, guys. This is so huge. I can't even explain to you. I'm going to. I'm going to try to explain to you how just massive this is. Romans didn't believe in just one God as a whole. Romans believed they had a polytheistic society. They believed in multiple gods. I mean, they were gods all made up by man, but they believed in multiple gods. Dozens, really. And again, Cornelius feared. Didn't say that he feared Zeus. <laughs> or that he feared Hercules, or that he feared this, or that he feared that, or fe even feared Caesar. It says he feared God, Jehovah God, the one true God, Jehovah. That is huge. What else did verse 2 uh, say his fear, or true faith of Jehovah, caused him to do? His true faith in Jehovah caused him to give alms generously to the people. So, which means he gave gifts either of his own money, or, or remember, as the Romans were the leading people, they were the leading, kind of, they were the, 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 they had conquered Jerusalem at this time. God had allowed them to conquer. So, they were the, the ones that ruled over Jerusalem. So, they also collected tax money, or collect, collected, excuse me, tax 
money from the Jewish people. And yet this guy, Cornelius, who had a love and a fear and a reverence for the one true holy God, either took his own money or took the money from the tax collections and gave it to the people that were hurting. And he was their boss, basically. He was like more than a governor. More, he was the, basically their like mini ruler, like right under Caesar in this whole town of Caesarea. Can you say this is impressive? I do. This is really impressive. In fact, this is almost unheard of that anybody... In fact, I don't recall any time in Scripture that a Roman, like a general like this, of this magnitude, actually did these kind of things for the people that were his... the people that served him. I I just don't read it. This this is unheard of. Uh, Lastly, verse 2 says that he prayed to God, or Jehovah, always... And listen here, this is, this is important. God shows me these little details. If he was praying to Jehovah always and fearing him, this meant that he wasn't praying to the false small g gods of his peoples. That's, that's big. I'm going to try to describe to you just how powerful this really is. At this time in history, biblically, we don't read of even one other non-Jew who had any faith, real faith anyway, in Jehovah, God of all heaven and earth. And overall, biblically, let me me tell you, it even just gets a little worse. Biblically, we only read of a few that ever even did. A couple, the Syrophoenician woman, the Roman centurion whose kid died and called for Jesus and said, hey, just say a word. Jesus was real impressed with them. They just had faith in Jesus. They didn't have faith in Jehovah, so they kind of don't count. I mean, even though Jesus was God in in flesh, he he wasn't Jehovah Father God, and so they wouldn't count, right? But but this kind of, this centurion had faith in Jehovah, and the only ones that we really read about having faith in Jehovah would be Rahab the prostitute, right? Back when the Israelites were going into, into Jericho, Thank you, Lord. And we have Balaam of Beor, and, and we know he had faith for a little while, but then the New Testament tells us in the Old Testament he, he kind of fell away. He, he kind of sold out God for, and the Jewish people for money. And then we have Job, a man from the land of us. And these are just a few. Really, and really biblically, there's not very many Gentile people that actually reverenced or feared or loved the God of all heaven and earth. So overall, again, very few ever believed, followed, obeyed Jehovah as their God. Does this make him not the one true God? Just because people didn't fear him? Heavens, no. God is God no matter whether we believe in him or whether we reject him or whether we run from him or not. He's God. He's God of gods, right? Now listen to just how special this Cornelius is. So few Gentiles had ever had true faith in Jehovah that at this point the Jews were absolutely firm this is crazy, that salvation was only for the Jews. And that would even go for Christian Jews or Jewish Christians. They didn't even believe that Gentiles had a stake in Jesus Christ. They weren't looking to the Old Testament. They weren't looking toward the Bible's prophecies where God said that one day he's going to call Gentiles into the fold. He, he, they weren't looking at that. And all they, were, all they thought was Gentiles, they're dogs, they're not open for salvation. And boy, were they wrong. You'll see this idea, but not in today's message. But God does speak to Peter about Cornelius to to tell him that Gentiles will inherit eternal life. And thanks be to God for that. Wow. 
Thanks be to God for that, because the majority of people in the world, well, we're Gentiles. <laughs> the minority is Jews. They're one of the smallest people groups in the whole earth. But so thanks be to God, he called non-Jews to actually inherit King of Heaven. So this Gentile man and his family were very serious about the God of Heaven and Earth, the one true God, Jehovah. And he, Cornelius, is diligently seeking, pursuing God Almighty at all times of his life. For it says that he prayed always to God, right? Through, and, he, and he did this through prayer. He did this through having a reverent fear, like knowing that there was a God and listening to his conscience. For God gave everybody a conscience to know kind of right and wrong, right? He, he did this uh, having total faith in Jehovah his whole life, or, or at a certain point in his life. But at this point, it was every day. This is how he lived his life. And, and, all, and by all of what Luke just told us about Cornelius, it meant that, well, if you're doing that, if you're really serving the one true God, Jehovah, who are you not serving? Well, you're not serving all the false small g gods of your nation, of the nation of people that you believed in. Uh, even greater, uh, this, this would have meant that he did not even honor Caesar as a god as the small g God that he claimed to be, right? He wasn't any type of God anyway. There's only one true God, but Caesar did demand, uh, really, he did. He demanded to be honored as a God. Uh, it was straight up pride, but that's what he did. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll say this, we got to think of this, because this is, this is true. With this Cornelius not honoring Caesar as a God, the God that he claimed to be, and being a leader in the Roman army, it's no wonder why Caesar didn't, Take his title, strip him, beat him, beat him naked, flog him, crucify him, and kill him. For to be a Roman in the Roman army, a Roman general in the army, this man had to, you know, this man, Caesar knew of him. But yet, nothing happened to him. You see, must have been God taking care of Cornelius as he knows how to take care of those that are his, right? He certainly does. Anyway, with all that I just said about Cornelius, I sure hope that you are impressed with him. I really hope that you're impressed with him. If you're not, you should be. You should be. And if you're not that impressed with him and his faith, you really better examine yourself spiritually because you should be, and you should even be copying this man's faith in God because I know that it's kind of changed my perspective. I'm like, Lord, I want to be more like him. God, I want to be more like what this man did. And, and why do I say all that? Why do I say all that? Because not only do I want to be that way, but Jehovah was impressed with him. And, and if God Almighty, Yahweh, if he was impressed with him, then we ought to take an example from Cornelius and be just like him and follow his great faith. For the great faith and reverent fear Cornelius had for Jehovah, just look at how impressed he would, he was. Look at verses 3 and 4. About the ninth hour of the day, which will give us a little uh, kind of end to Cornelius' belief, right? Uh, the ninth hour of the Roman day was 3 to 4 p.m. Jewish time. And ironically, this just so happened to be, yeah, right, chuckle, chuckle, right? This just so happened to be the second hour of Jewish prayer, which means that this is no coincidence. This means that Cornelius was following the Jewish prayer times of his life. This is one of the reasons God noticed him. He, he just so happened to pray the second hour. Yeah, right. He did it on purpose. He feared God Almighty, didn't he? He absolutely feared him. Th those who fear, truly fear him. This is, a, this is a statement. You can write this one down. This is a true statement. Those who truly fear him, obey him. Amen. 
And, and during this prayer time, listen, we see, we, we read this. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Wow. You may not think anything special about that, but an angel comes from heaven to a Gentile dog? Well, we don't read too many times that that happened in Scripture, right? I don't you know, just a couple. And by God's instruction, think of this, whether you know this is big or not, this angel calls him by name. Cornelius, God knew this man by name. Do you realize how special this is? The Bible says that unless you belong to him, God, God kind of just knows of you, right? I mean, God's not going to look inside of every evil person's uh, situations. God doesn't want to view all of that evil, right? But that he doesn't know you intimately, right? That's what the Bible says. God doesn't know you intimately until you turn to him and become his. Uh, intimately, I mean like a dad would know his own wife or dad would know his own child. God just doesn't know you that way if you don't belong to God. Yet, he knows Cornelius personally and he knows him by name, yet he's a Gentile dog with up to this point, no guarantee anybody had of people non-Jews worshiping the God of all heaven. Wow. Verse 4, and when he, that'd be Cornelius, observed him, he was afraid. <laughs> and he said, what is it, Lord? Small L, because he knew it wasn't God, right? That's even a godly response to have to an angel. I've had people say, well, I won't believe in God. I'll tell you, you know, even if he stood right here before me, I wouldn't give him the honor to believe in him. I would say, yeah, right, but that's what they've said in, in their ignorance, right? But this Cornelius, he gives even a godly response to the angel. Wow, I'm afraid, oh my gosh, what's, what is it, right? Look at, the, look at the rest of verse 4. So he said to him, and this has got to be one of the most impressive parts of this whole section to me. The angel says of him, from God's inspiration, God speaking and telling him what to say, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Wow. So not only does God know him personally by name, but God also gives him the honor of telling him that his great faith, the faith that caused him to fear and obey Jehovah, turning away from the false gods of Rome and Caesar, he, he grants Cornelius the creme de la creme. There's no high honor, there's no, there's no higher honor than what he told him. He gives him the honor of telling him that his prayers and his gifts for the people were a memorial before him. Do you know what a memorial is? Well, we have a wall of memorial at the, at the, the, the park where all the soldiers died, where their names are on the wall. That means they're a constant, they were a constant reminder to God. A memorial, like a plaque in, God, in God's throne room. Oh, yeah, there's that Cornelius. Yeah, there are his prayers and his, oh, man, Oh, they're all, that means that God was always remembering them, that he had, had, had written them in heaven for crying out loud. And all I can say to that is, wow, right? Do you even understand what great honor God gives this man here? Because of his true great faith, the faith that caused him to seek the Lord diligently, obeying Romans eleven six, 6, which wasn't even written yet, and his true and reverent fear of God, he was first honored by getting a vision from an angel, have you ever gotten a vision of an angel? 
I've never gotten a vision of an angel. I've, I've had other visions, but I've never had a vision of an angel. Uh, of this being heard in prayer, only now in Christ, me in Christ, hearing my prayers, only now do I know, and because I have faith in God's word, do I know that and God hears my prayers. Only now do I know that Cornelius is not in Christ at this point. He's not even saved at this point, yet he gets to hear firsthand from a spiritual messenger of God that his prayers are heard by God. God's never told me personally, and in a voice by an angel, Ed, God hears your prayers. Wow, this man's got me beat. And he's a Gentile and a dog and not even saved. Wow, I'm just telling you, all, all this honor in a time when only the Jews believed that God heard their prayers. God even telling the Jews that they were his chosen elect people, while the Romans were, again, considered dogs. Right? Really, Romans were considered enemies to the Jews. Really, they were because, again, Israel didn't like to be ruled over by the Romans. They wanted to have their own state again. I'll add this just to show you how impressed you should be of Cornelius, uh, what he receives here. Hardly ever did God even ever tell any one of his kids that he ever heard their prayers and, 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 and that their lives and their good works were a memorial before him. The only one that God brought to my mind when I was doing this section of scripture or doing this study for this section was Daniel 10, verses 12 and 13. We read this, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was still speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Same response, but he was a Jew. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. Daniel is the only man in Scripture that I can remember that God brought to my mind of God actually coming to somebody and saying, I heard your prayers, man. I got you. I got you. Yet Cornelius, who's not even a Christian, not even a Jew, gets this honor, this great and tremendous honor. Now do you see why I'm so impressed and why you should be impressed, right? Cornelius has sure impressed the tar out of me. He really has. He really, I'm, I'm like, I'm blown away. So again, wow. Just look at how God rewards Cornelius because of his great faith and reverent fear he had for Jehovah. God rewards him, which is kind of wrapping in the title. God rewards him by revealing himself to him and by telling him, I, I know you're there. I see you. And you know what? I hear what you're telling me. Now, there's no greater reward that you could get. No greater reward that you can get than having God tell you that. And that has got to be one of the most powerful things in all of God's word to hear. I mean, really. Uh, now, and we won't get to this verse today, but God calls Peter to Cornelius' house in verse 35. You can scan your eyes down there now in the same chapter 10 if you want to look at what I'm going to read. And when Peter hears of the great reward that God has bestowed upon Cornelius by revealing himself to him because of his great faith and reverent fear he has for God, even being a Roman Gentile dog, Peter says something very profound Look at verse 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Even Peter saw just how impressed and God was and how impressed he should be at the great honor that God gave this Gentile man. 
But all of this brings me to probably the most important point of this entire message past if you seek God, you will find him. I mean, really, you could title the kind of the whole first half of the sermon, really. Uh, I think it's about a half. Now, you could title the whole first half of the sermon, If You Diligently Seek God by Faith, He'll reveal Himself to You. That's your reward for doing that. I mean, and that goes for everybody, right? But but this is this second part here is probably <laughs> right up there with that. How, how could I bring up anything so much more important than the reward that God gave a non-Jew Gentile dog? Well, we know, listen to this, this is super powerful, and, and this is how I, I just had this question, in, in fact, like uh, within the last couple, last couple weeks, and I, I, really, I don't know if I was thinking about this or God just jumped it out at me, but you know, as I progressed the sermon, but we know that Jesus Christ died and resurrected way before this account with God and Cornelius. And we know and believe, because Scripture tells us so, not just because we have a belief, that people can only become acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for salvation. We know that. That's, that's biblical. New Testament, that's what the New Testament says. If you don't go through Jesus Christ, you're not getting to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And he didn't say, I'm one of the ways to get to God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Yet, well, I mean, we'll just look to also Romans 5, 8, 9. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Acts 4, 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, or you could say made acceptable or justified unto God. And we know that he's speaking about Jesus Christ there. That was the context of Rome, or Acts 4, 12. Now, those things being understood as biblical orthodoxy or biblical ultimate truth and believing that God's word doesn't contradict itself because it doesn't, even though it may seem to sometimes. Uh, and in this instance, how can people only be made right with God through Christ, yet it seems as if Cornelius was made right with God in this section of scripture through his faith and good works outside of Jesus Christ? How could that be? It's a big question. It's a, this is a huge section of scripture that people look at and go, the Bible, uh, there's no way. There are, There is another way. If we just have faith in God and we just do good works and, and, and you know, that could be any God, well, just God, you know, then, then we can be acceptable and we're going to go to heaven. And that's what people think. That that idea that you could be saved by just having a faith in God and living a good moral life and doing good works, came, I, I believe that it came out of and surfaced from this actual section of Scripture with Cornelius. Cornelius had faith in and feared God Almighty, or Jehovah. He prayed always and did good works to people. And for this, the angel tells Cornelius that his reward was that his prayers were heard by God, even being a memorial or remembered before God. Yet Jesus Christ had died and resurrected before this, and Cornelius wasn't in Christ. How could that be? Was he accepted for salvation? Well, and again, in Peter's observation, Peter says this, God accepts all those. What's the word all? The word all means all, right? He accepts all in any nation whom fear Jehovah and work righteous acts. And he says it because of the fact that God rewarded Cornelius by revealing himself to him. A non-Jew, a non-Jew, a non-Christian, a non-saved person because of his faith to diligently seek God Almighty. So, does God Almighty accept people for salvation outside of the blood of Jesus Christ? Can people be saved and made right in God's eyes 
by their righteous works and their faith in Jehovah alone, apart from Jesus Christ? Those are the two questions, and those, that's the big thrust we're going to be making the last part of this sermon. Uh, this, of course, I don't know whether you know this or not, this would make the Catholics right, for in their catechism we read that uh, they understand that people can be saved outside of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, as their catechism states. Yes, that's right, you could look it up. Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can go to catechismofthecatholicchurch.vatican.va. Then scroll your eyes down to, you come to a big kind of tan page where you can read, uh, just go down to... Uh, Scroll down to, but don't click in, chapter 3, titled, I Believe in the Holy Spirit. Then under that, just go right under there, Article 9, but don't click on it. But that's just where your eye should be, where it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Then under that, just go to paragraph 3 and click on that. The church is one, holy and Catholic and apostolic, and you can click on that one. Once you click on that one, just roll right down to number 847, and you'll read this. This affirmation is not aimed at those who, through no fault of their own, do not know Christ and His church, those who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ or His church, but, here's the kicker, who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and moved by grace, try in their actions to do His will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience. So whatever good works that they want to do, that's good enough to God. Those two may achieve eternal salvation. You could look it up for yourself. So that means outside of Christ and his blood, if you seek God like Cornelius did, God will accept you if you seek God with an earnest heart and you work good works in your, just all that you know it's in your conscience to do, then these two shall be accepted for eternal salvation. So, is Peter saying that people will be accepted or rewarded by God Almighty outside of Jesus Christ by their good works and their faith in God alone, seeming to contradict Acts 4.12, and, and, right? Jesus, and then Jesus saying in John 3, I am the way and the truth and the life, and there's no way to get to the Father except through me. Is he, is he doing that? Did God Almighty really accept or reward Cornelius apart from Jesus Christ unto eternal salvation? Did he? Is there a clear contradiction in Scripture proving that the Bible is flawed and that the Catholics and my Catholic aunt are right about their uh, writing in the catechism? Eh, I'm sorry. That is wrong. Not quite. How do I know that I'm right and that there is no contradiction in Scripture and that there's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ? Well, you see, for starters... It's important. Just look to verse 4 again. God never says in verse 4 that Cornelius was justified or made right before him in eternal salvation. Those words aren't there. It just says that in any nation, all those who you know, fear God, seek Him basically, trust in Him, you know, right? pray to Him, you know, work righteous things, do righteousness, that they're accepted of Him. We, we just see that because of the love that Cornelius had for the people and the love, faith, and obedience that he had for Him. God Almighty decided to accept reward Him by revealing Himself to Him, which means that we can accept that God accepted Cornelius for eternal life uh, or for automatic salvation by faith and good works towards Him alone, leaving out of the picture Jesus Christ, making His death and resurrection for sins and humanity not necessarily, or not necessary for eternal life because that's just a lie from the pit of hell. 
No, in the context that Peter uses this acceptance and God even telling Cornelius he knew his name and that God would remember his prayers and good works and a love for the people since God doesn't contradict himself and we know that there is no salvation outside of Christ and his precious blood uh, that washed away our sins, right? And we know, but what we see is that God, what he said to Cornelius was Matthew twenty-two fourteen: For many are called, but few are chosen. You have to be called for to, to even become eternally saved we have to be called before we're even saved nobody just walks up and says all right god i'm getting saved today here i am i'm i'm saved right now because i say so god is the he, he allows salvation and, and he can disallow salvation too right god calls many really all to come to him but few respond and cornelius responded right he responded so then becoming accepted or called right that's what god is saying here ladies and gentlemen the bible doesn't contradict itself it just says seeming contradictions in it and now you may be saying well pastor ed that was weak you kind of just said that because you were branching off other scriptures but how do you know for real that this god accepting cornelius was not his acceptance unto eternal life because i know it didn't say it but you know he did say that he was accepted well that's okay, because you know what? I always want proof too. I'm, I'm big on that. If you believe what you say, just show it to me. Just prove it to me. I'll believe that your way is the right way, or I'll believe that what you're saying is right, but I just got to see it. I just got to see it plainly. Well, it is plain, and it's in Scripture, and where is it you say? It's in verses 5 and 6. If you want to look down to five uh, verses 5 and 6, we'll see, we'll see without hands down that there's no salvation outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 5 and 6, read it. He says then, okay, right after this big buildup, this big, huge buildup, God's accepted you, His, your prayers are immoral before Him, praise God, Cornelius, God knows your name, right? And, but then he says this in verse 5 and 6, now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Listen, he will tell you what you must do. He will tell you what you must do. If Cornelius, having a love and reverent fear and work towards Jehovah God Almighty, plus his good works toward people, made him acceptable to God for eternal life and salvation, which the Bible never said, outside of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins by his death, why did God tell him to go get Peter? Why did God tell him to go get Peter? And then not only did God go tell him to go to Peter, but he said, and listen to him and do whatever he says to you. Interesting, right? So it wasn't enough that he was just accepted by God. God gave him another step. If God had approved Cornelius for salvation upon his faith and good works toward himself, and all of that was enough to make him approved, God wouldn't have told him to go get Peter and then do whatever he told him to do, right? He would have just said, hey, well done. Hey, follow me the rest of your days and you're good to do. But instead, he says, go get Peter. I hope you understand. And what did Peter tell people to do when he preached to them? People that weren't in Christ? Well, look at the message to the Jews who had faith in God alone and not Christ in Acts chapter 3, 13 through 19. He says this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Hmm. Peter just didn't say, have faith in God alone. 
He said, he glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to go to him or to let him go. But 14, but you denied the holy and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed, speaking of Christ now, the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now, or whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, he has given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, this is also some of your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Well, in, in who? The Christ. Jesus. That was Peter's message. Don't just have faith in God. You need Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind. Verse 19 then, repent therefore and be converted. Stop just believing in God. Stop just doing good works and repent and be converted. Convert what? What do you have to convert? We have to convert one thing to another. Conversion is when you go from, you know, from this one to that one, right? When you convert, don't just believe in God, trust in Christ. Right? That was what Peter's message was to them, right? And Peter's message to Cornelius' house, we're not going to get to it today, but I'm just going to glance it over because it's going to, we're going to come up in the next weeks. But Acts 10.36, his very first words to Cornelius' household. Listen to what he says. After he gets there, after he starts in, God says, Cornelius says, we're here. Whatever you say to us, we'll listen to you. What do you have to say? Peter opens his mouth and he says this, his very first words. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is the one by which whom salvation only comes by and through. If there was salvation outside of Jesus Christ, through just faith and fear uh, and good works in God alone, then Peter would not have preached what he did to the Jews in Jerusalem and Cornelius the Gentile, and God would have never told Cornelius to take another step to find out that he and his household had to be saved through Jesus Christ and not any way else, even through God Almighty alone. Because... God, I know you know my heart when I say this, but, but as God Almighty is as so powerful as Jehovah is as he is, he cannot save humanity from their sins. God Almighty did not say that he would personally. He gave that task and that job to Jesus Christ, the third person in the Godhead, his son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus Christ, not Jehovah, came, and Jesus Christ laid down his life for humanity, not Jehovah, so that all could come to him through him and call upon his name, for his blood created a way to what the Bible calls the holy of holies, where God dwells. It all works like a plan. God didn't make, God made the way in the plan for salvation, but God wasn't the one himself, Jehovah the Father God, wasn't the one himself to actually come down and lay down his life to make that plan work and to shed his precious blood for God his spirit, Jesus Christ came into the flesh. So, all that being said, now do you see, there's no contradictions. Without Jesus Christ's blood, no one be able to come to God Almighty and stand before him by their good works and their faith solely in him. God's words are flawless, guys. God's words are flawless. You just have to read them in the context that they're given. You have to read them exegetically. Read the whole counsel 
of God's word, not just one little piece. Oh, I'm going to pull out this verse and I'm going to pull out that verse and I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to just mean, you know, say whatever they mean. And then we go on and on and on and on. Christians, this is so important. Read the Bible correctly. And back to Cornelius, finishing up here. What did he do after God told him what to do next? Look at verses 7 8, the last two verses of today. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. (laughs) He was obedient to the command of Jehovah. He was truly an amazing man of faith and an amazing man of love towards God. It's no wonder why God called him and made him a candidate for salvation. God didn't save him at this point, but he made him a candidate for salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and although Cornelius was not out of the wilderness yet, he was headed in the right direction as his love of fear, obedience, and faith in Jehovah, and his love for his fellow man got God's attention big time. That's what it did. His, his, all of these things, God, God had to stand up and go, well, who's, boy, this guy, he just diligently seeking me. Oh, let me, yeah. let me, let me look at this guy. Yeah. He, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that one there. Hey, so, so, go, get out there and go talk to him for me. Because you know what? That man loves me. He don't even know me, but he loves me. Wow, right? Plus, understand, he had, <laughs> if he had died before Peter got, before he actually got, Peter got to him, understand, the Bible says that Cornelius and his household would have gone to hell. Because outside of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. <laughs> There's no salvation. But salvation, understand, comes one step at a time. It's a process. And as you will see, because we'll read on in the next coming weeks, the salvation of Christ comes to Cornelius and his household. It just takes a little while. It's kind of, you know, it's coming. It's a process, right? But but God shows me here in this account with Cornelius, uh, the later and later with Cornelius and, and, and when Peter comes, just exactly how kind of the middle and end stages of salvation works. I, I don't know if anybody's ever explained salvation to you before, but that's what God's given me to kind of undertake uh, in this sermon, just as, a, just as a quick end close, I just want to kind of explain how God works and how salvation works. And I don't know where you're at with God, but I know that God wants you to be saved. And so I, I know that maybe you'll, you know, this will strike your heart and God's going to move here in you. So the first stage for everyone on all earth for salvation comes in Romans 1, starting in about oh, verse 18, where God tells us through Paul that basically, All creation testifies of his reality and that all mankind is without excuse for all have a measure of faith to know God and to kind of know who God is and that he is real. And in this, God revealing himself to all mankind, he's reaching out to all mankind and desiring all to come to him and seek him. Acts 17, 26, and 27. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the planet Earth. And he has determined their pre-apportive times and boundaries of their dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in his hope. God's hoping. God doesn't guarantee. There's no, people just aren't born. Okay, well, I'm going to say just, you know, right? In the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though the Bible says he's not far from each one of us. That means that God is drawing all people to himself and hoping that we respond by groping for him because he wants us to. And he wants to see what we'll do. Reveals himself to all, calls all, looking, 
Amen. Then how does he know? How does he know who is? Second Chronicles 16, 9. God tells us his heart is that his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal or strong towards him, right? Him, him showing himself strong is him helping us and revealing himself to the one, just even just one, who's truly responding to his call and draw, just like Cornelius did. Hey, it worked the same for Cornelius. He saw an all creation. Man, there's a creator God. Wow. Boy, it's all awesome. You know what? Oh, these gods here, these people, I don't know. They don't create a God. This guy, whoever this is, he created everything. And you know what? I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to pray to him. Because there's got to be somebody that created all that. So I'm going to worship him. Cornelius didn't even know who God was. But he decided, I'm going to, man, that dude's awesome. I'm going to worship him. And you know what? Even though I don't know who he is, huh, I'm going to worship this God. And so he did. And this is what God's got, got God's attention. Summing up all what I just said and, and what, I, what I read out of the Bible, uh, we basically see that God's calling and drawing all humanity to himself by revealing himself through his creation to all people. Since when? Since time began until now, until the end. That's kind of how it works. And the hope that we will respond by groping for him, and, and, that, is, and, he, and, and that he is looking for anyone that will respond. And when his eyes find the one who is, basically God then shows himself strong to them for salvation or, or, or a question we may have and skepticism or, or a doubt that, you know, I don't, Lord, I'm having trouble believing. Will you show me, Lord? I, I need to know. That was me. That was me 17 or 18 years ago. That was me. God, who are you? God, will you reveal yourself to me? I just want to know who you are. Oh, and I sought the Lord like that. And guess what? God revealed himself to me. It was amazing. I followed these steps in the Bible. All creation started worshiping God, started asking God who he was. And then all of a sudden, God revealed himself to me, just like Cornelius. And at this point, with Cornelius and with myself, at this point, with God showing himself strong towards us, that means basically, as in my case, I can testify to this, that God kind of takes it from there. And he works out the leading of that person or the leading of the, of the one that's his person, right? The, the person that's already done this, that's his, right? He leads that person to go to that one, that responder, that seeker, that groper, and that one or, or God himself helps them to come into his arms. Basically, how? Into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, just as we're going to see in a little while with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius responded to the evidence of the one true God that all creation exposed to him, and he decided to worship that one true God, even though he didn't know him personally. And even though until this very moment in Scripture, God just showed me this just a little bit ago, God had revealed himself in no other personal way, Cornelius said, I'm going to worship him anyway. He's just great. Anybody that could put all that out there, I'm going to worship him. And God up until this point in Scripture hadn't, hadn't come in any personal way to Cornelius because Cornelius was shocked when he first did. That's how we know. But yet, God still saw him. And for his great faith and reverent fear for this God of all creation, Jehovah, whom he didn't even know, he blessed him with the reward of calling him in a divine encounter, calling him to eternal life in who? In himself? No, not quite. In Jesus Christ alone. By then what? 
giving him the next steps to take to receive that eternal life, even though he had no idea what it was. That's how God works. He requires us to operate in faith. And Cornelius already was a man of faith. And he said, I, I want to test and see what, what are you going to do? Hey, go to call this guy. I'm here. Yeah, I'm real. I see you. Wow, you're, you're awesome. You're an awesome dude. But I want you to be saved. I don't just, it's not, it's not good enough that you just worship me. I want, I want you to be saved and have a relationship with me. And know the Bible says that that only comes through Jesus Christ, and that's it, right? So the Catholic catechism is partly right, right? If anyone anywhere in the world simply has a true love and reverent fear for the God of creation, and let's say they worship him, God does see it because he is looking for that one person. And it doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter whether they're in the deepest reaches of Africa or in the 1040 or 1020 or 1030 window or whatever the heck it is now. God sees it because we can't see it. We're not like, we don't look upon the whole earth. God does. No matter where they're at, God sees them. If they're just going to respond to the evidence that God's given them, hey, I'm real, I'm here, and I love you, if they just respond, no matter where they are, just like Cornelius, a Gentile dog, <laughs> a Gentile dog, right? Uh, the, the lowest form to the Jew. But to God, the seeker, the responder to what he did, right? Wow. All I could say. You know, years ago, I read about the story, not read about it, excuse me, I saw a documentary about the story of two ladies, Merziah and Marianne. And you say, well, that, that's kind of weird names. Well, yeah, they're from Iran. And I, I, I've given this story so many times since then, I don't know, I think I've only done it once or twice in all my sermons about five years, but these two ladies, they're, they're so powerful, and they're an exact, exact replica, basically, of Cornelius. They, they were born in Iran, and they were Muslims. Of course, you know, of course, because everybody grows up, you know, one of those countries like that is kind of just falls into Islam because that's just kind of how it, how it is there. Well, but they knew, oh, yeah, not so sure about that God of Islam. So, you know, you know, we're going to, and they didn't know one another, but they just worship the God of heaven and earth. They just said, we love you, God, as individual ladies across the, across the country of Iran, probably in maybe, in the, I think maybe in the same city or the next cities next to one another, but they didn't know one another. And they just, in their own time, they just were like, you know what? God, we know you're real, and, and we know you like, and, and Lord, I'm going to, I love you, and I, and I want to worship you. And so they just decided to love God, worship God, and they respond to his creation and his drawing as he's drawing all people. And then, you know, but they were still Muslims, like by namesake, right? That, that's what their country had labeled them. That's what they, they went to synagogue, or not synagogue, excuse me. They went to mosque, and they did all the Muslim things, and recited all the Muslim prayers. But in their own hearts, at home, in their beds, where, you know, you're all alone, and that's a test of true character, when you're all alone. Do you really love God in your own bed, saying, sitting there and thinking about Him, or, you know, whatever, right? So they're laying there, each in their own bed, and, and in each in their own time, in God's own timing, as they sought him, as they prayed to him, as they talked to him, not knowing his name, not just knowing him as just creator of the universe, God came to them in a vision. Each one of them had their own vision of God. But it wasn't just of God, it was of Jesus Christ. And it was of God revealing himself through the person of Jesus Christ to these Muslim ladies, but that weren't sold out on the idea that Islam was right, but they just were like, is God real? I, I know God's real. God, I love you, and I just want to worship you. And God's just like Cornelius, God came to them in a vision of Jesus Christ, and these awesome visions that they had, 
And what, what, what can you do? If you're seeking God and you say you love Him and, and then He reveals Himself to you, well, just like Cornelius, okay, Lord. And so God told them, hey, my way is through Jesus Christ. And so they believed and they became Christians. And how they even ever met was because they started going out and sharing the Word and sharing, handing out Bibles and get, you know, once they got saved. And then they met in prison, actually, when they, or they met, excuse me, if I'm not mistaken, they met in, in this one church they were both decided to go to, God's call, you know, his divine, his, his sovereignty. And then they met and they were doing like evangelism together. They were handing out Bibles together. And then they went to prison together. Because, you know, in Iran, you can't just talk about Jesus openly. You know, because they're, 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 they're submissing, right? They're hiding the, the idea of the one true God. They're trying to blind the people more, right? They don't want people to know the one true God. So they want, they want people to be wrapped up in, in the God of this world, the devil who, who pretends to be Allah, or, you know, pretends to, to come through Muhammad. But anyway... This is exactly the story with them, as almost identical to the story of Cornelius. And this answers the big question, right? What about the person in the deepest parts of Africa who's never heard of Jesus Christ? Do, do they go to hell even though they've never heard of Jesus? Well, it's all up to them. Really. God wants to save them. God wants to save all. But it's up to them. Will they respond? God's trying, if they respond to, to the information that he's given, God will reveal to himself to them and Jesus Christ to them and his plan of salvation to them no matter where they are, no matter who they are, just like he did with Cornelius, the Gentile dog. So, so ladies and gentlemen, please don't worry about that person who's never in Never Never Land unless you're saved already and maybe God calls you to support a work to them or something like that, then hey, praise God, you know, follow the call of God. Uh, but what I find most in America is the fact that people are so concerned about this person in Never Never Land, but they aren't concerned about themselves. What about this guy? These people that don't even believe in God. Well, what about this person? And oh, they're going to go. Dude, why don't you seek God yourself? Why don't you start looking at the evidences that God's given you of himself? And why don't you go out there and, and, and put, set your heart, is God real? God, are you real? Can you reveal yourself to me? I really want to know. If, I mean, if you're really relying, I want to know. Why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? Because God's eyes are going to and fro throughout all the earth. And he puts you, he made you born in the time you were born, Acts 17, put you in the area that you live in right now so that you could seek the Lord in, in, in his hope that you would grow for him. Right? Why don't you do that? Stop worrying about the person and person in never Neverland, right? You worry about yourself and worry about is God real for yourself? God will take care of the whole world and he'll take care of any that seek him. Any. I don't care who you are or where you are. If you seek the God of all creation because you, wow, somebody had to put that there and you start seeking that God, that one true God. That one true God will reveal himself to you. You'd be guaranteed on that. Seek the Lord, the Bible says, while he may be found. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your truths, Lord, we find in your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, that, Lord, you, 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 you are looking for that person to respond 
God in heaven. Maybe there's somebody that's listening today, somewhere in the world. I don't know where you're going to send this message. Maybe this message is meant for somebody who's in another country that's seeking you, that's wondering if you're real, that's wanting to know you, and, and, and they're wondering, and may, maybe you're going to send this message to them, Lord. And God, if you are, because I don't put it past you since Gospel Saving Church has a worldwide uh, internet ministry, Lord, I, I pray, Lord God, that you, you would, with this message, your, your Holy Spirit would, would just even touch them so that they could see that you're watching them. You, you're, you're testing them. You're, you're, you're seeing, are you really seeking me? Do you really love me? Are you willing to just, by faith, the faith is, I've got everything all out there. I'm real. Will, will they just start worshiping you? Will they just start doing what's right? For, for the moment, Lord, will they just start doing righteousness as, as their conscience knows? And Lord, Father God, if you see this, as our scripture says, as you see this, Lord, as they have a fear of you, as they turn away from the false gods of whatever their ancestors believe or believe or believed, whatever, Lord, you then, Lord, can step in. When you see that heart like Cornelius, when you see that heart like Marzai and Maryam, when you see that heart like me, Lord, and you can come and you can reach them wherever they may be, Lord God. Nothing is outside of your reach. No place on this planet is outside of your reach. God, please, Lord God, I pray that from even this message, Lord God, there'd be some responders. Lord God, there'd be people that would respond to your greatness in all creation, Lord God. And I, and I just pray, Lord God, that even, even though they may not hear it, Lord, I pray for those that are in those areas where this message may never even reach. I pray, Lord God, for them. Lord God, that you would just make today and tonight for them shine so strong, Lord God. <laughs> wow, that they just could not deny anymore that there is a God, a true, one true God who made heaven and earth, and that they would just set their hearts to seek you, to know who you are, and start calling out to you so that you can, Lord God. Then your eyes go, and then you see them, and then you go, and then because you're hoping that they did that, and then you go, and you present them the plan of salvation. Please, God, I love you, and I praise you, and I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.